last time I couple times I preached, I had the wireless, and that was a fight that no one wants to see again. Apparently, he handed me a wire, this thing here. So now I get to figure out how to speak with only one hand because I'm a hand speaker. So uh, we might be, you might get a better sermon over here than you because I, I over here is this high. No, I'm just kidding. Um, they get a worse one for that reason too. Matthew chapter 9. So what we're working on here, just to kind of help you see big picture here, uh, again, the idea, we're in Advent season, and a lot of people don't know what the word means. Advent means to, to prepare for the coming of something. There's this idea of expectation. Uh, the song, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is probably my favorite Christmas song because there's this, this longing, that song. I would love to hear it sung in Hebrew, by Hebrew, by Jewish people, I think. This song of longing. Wanting something more, wanting something better. John talked about the idea of returning to, uh, uh, um, not necessarily, necessarily to the garden, but returning to being in the presence of the God of the universe forever. <clears throat> There's this expectation. And, and I think the tendency we might have for us is to think that would happen 2,000 years ago, but we're now living in expectation of another advent, the return of Christ. And the cool thing is, this will be even bigger than the first one, right? More glorious, more larger, more encompassing, more powerful, more amazing, even better. And we should live in light of that. So what we've been doing is, that last week Justin focused on this a good bit, this idea of expectation. And he thought this, thought this had this idea, and I decided to kind of run that some more as well. But what were these first century Jews expecting... What was wrong with their expectations? John will preach next week, I think, a little more on who Jesus actually is to fulfill what the correct ones might be. At least I set you up if you didn't, so there you go. Um, and then what I want to look at today as well is what expectations did they have about who Jesus was as a moral person, as a, as a, a good person, that were wrong as well? And again, it's real easy for us, if we're not careful, to go, yeah, those guys were bad. Those guys, boy, those, those Pharisees, those whatever, those guys had it all wrong. <laughs> but I got it right, right? What we're going to see in this text here, I think, is the beginning to understand that we actually are having some of the same issues in our, in our advent, in our expectation of return. Will Jesus, will his kingdom come? You know, last week, his kingdom was going to come and drive out Rome. Well, if you didn't notice, and maybe you were in that process, sometimes I was too, what, a month ago we were all hoping to get a certain situation to work out, to get something to happen, whoever you're going to vote for one way or the other, you were thinking if we get this guy in office, it'll all be fine? That was a tendency for most people I talked to. And it was this sense in where God's kingdom will come if we get the right government, Right? And there was, a, there, was a, there was a, I get it, but there was a wrong view there, right? And that's what Justin hit a lot last week. What I want to look at today in Matthew 9 is a little bit more in lines of what they were thinking Jesus would look like, the Messiah would look like in terms of his, his teachings and his, um, his holiness area. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever done the right thing? Now, I hope the answer to that question is yes, right? If the answer to the question is no, let's talk after service and figure out what else is kind of going on here. 
But I imagine everybody here would say yes. At some point, at least once in my life, I have done the right thing, okay? Some of us would say not very often, but we have done the right thing. But here's the next question. So build off of that. Have you ever done the right thing for the wrong reason? Okay. All right. Now we're kind of like, yeah, that, that still sounds kind of like me. Now, again, if you go, nope, nope, I've got it all right. Every time for the right reasons, I'm good. Let's talk after the service again, okay? Because we've got to figure some things out. And if you go, you know what? I've never done anything but wrong things or right things for wrong reasons. Let's talk as well. But the point being, most of us, really all of us, I think, can relate to this idea that we have done the right thing for the wrong reasons. So let's go next question. What, was those, what were those reasons? You did the right thing. You knew you did it for the wrong reason. What were the reasons? Was it to impress somebody? Was it to gain a favor? Was it to impress God? Did you think, let's pick one. Why'd you come to church this morning? For me, if you're, if you're being honest, it's a mixture of emotion, right? There's, I want to see people. I want to hear the word. I want to talk, teach the word. I want to preach. I, I had to be here this morning or it would be weird, right? But there's, there's a sense in where I had to be here. But there's also this kind of like, I could have stayed home. It had been fine. I could have watched myself on TV. That would have worked, right? You know, I, I could have watched stuff online. I've talked to people. Maybe you've talked to people as well who go, I don't need to come to church. I hear you, brother. All right. Because I can get it online. No, you can't, right? You can't. There, there's pieces you can. But so the question is, why, why are you here? That's, that's an easy one to look at. Are you doing the right thing for the wrong reason? Sometimes that's the case for all of us. Well, I think as I'm looking through Scripture, and Matthew and I are going to look at here in a minute, it's going to show us this, I think. I think the Jewish people were expecting a Messiah who was going to come in and tell them what to do and what not to do, give them a list, and then that way if I can keep my list, I'm good, Right? If I can just do enough of these things, then I'm good. And what we'll see here is the people who couldn't keep the list, they were kind of pushed out to the side of society, right? The ones who kept the list, they were okay to kind of hang out. And so they thought Jesus was going to come in here and, and kind of rubber stamp that process. And when he didn't, they're like, wait, what, what are you doing, right? So let's read Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse, we'll start in verse 9. So Matthew 9. As Jesus passed on from there, there he just healed a man and forgiven the guy's sins. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the booth, at the tax booth. So he's a tax collector. And he said to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed Jesus. That's a good start, right? As Jesus reclined at table in the house, probably Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they're, they're following him around a lot, it looks like, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When he heard of it, when he heard of it, when Jesus heard of it, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. 
Father, this is your word. This is your time. These are your people. You do your work. Amen. All right. So again, story here. Jesus just healed a man, forgiven his sins. The Pharisees are already kind of confused. He moves on here as well. He calls Matthew out. Matthew follows him. And the scene we're looking at here, the story, and, and what, what, what I always encourage you to do when you're reading a story is to do your best to just imagine it. Start trying to put some images with the connections here. So let's imagine this somewhat. So Jesus goes to Matthew's house. Matthew is a tax collector. Again, to kind of give you a little bit of background here, he, a tax collector is somebody who works for the Romans, which the Jews hate. He's a Jew working for the Romans. And so this is like he's working for the worst possible situation, so they hate him. They consider him to be a traitor, all right? So if you're a tax collector, you're not thought well of. Matthew's not thought well of, and Jesus says, follow him. The Pharisees are already kind of like, what's up with this? You're asking this guy to follow you? That doesn't sound good. He goes to his house. Matthew is already hanging out with a bunch of people who would be sinners, and that, whatever that means in that culture, we'll look at it in a minute here, get some ideas there, but these people who had been sort of rejected by the religious group and said, you guys are not good enough, you're sinners, you need to go over there. And Jesus is hanging out with them. Having, apparently reclining, having a party. It sounds like it's a pretty good party here. Um, and people are coming to it. These guys are coming to it. Matthew brings his friends over. The Pharisees go, Jesus, um, you know, you're a religious teacher. And religious teachers don't hang out with those people. You're supposed to be hanging out with us. And Jesus says, okay, one, you don't know what you're talking about, right? You, 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 number one, those people are, you're those people, right? You're the problem, right? As much as they're the problem. If you think they're the problem, you're the problem. That's, that's part of the issue there as well. Because then he says, he really gets onto it for two things. If you think that there's something wrong with them, why are you not helping them? Like, I, I don't understand. You're, you're, you're telling me that there's, they got a problem. Go and teach them. Go help them. Go minister to them. Now, we know that Jesus is not telling them that they're righteous. Because we, we, Jesus hammers the Pharisees over and over and over and over again. At one point, calls them whitewashed tombs. Right? You're dead people, is what he calls them. But we see here, he's, he's really hammering two ideas. Let's look at the Pharisees a little bit first here. So the Pharisees in this culture, again, would be the people who are trying to follow the law, and they're pretty good at it, especially because they wrote most of it, right? And it's really easy to do things when you write them yourself, right? So they're really good at following all the rules that they made, right? Yeah, I mean, that's if you're a kid, you know, parents do the same thing all the time, right? We make up the rules, we follow them just fine, right? When you break the rules, there's a problem. We break the rules, we change the rules. That's how parenting works. That's, that's just normal. Don't worry about it. All right. The Pharisees were the same way. They had written a lot of their own rules. And they were really good at following them. And see, here's the thing. They thought that that made them right with God. They thought that they were doing the right thing. And they were, a lot of times, doing the right thing. But they were trying to impress God. And if you read carefully in other passages, Jesus even says they were trying to impress people. They wanted people to look up to them. They wanted people to admire them. And they really thought that God would be pleased with them 
because they had kept all the rules. And Jesus, a lot of times, says, you've missed all the important rules. You've made up some rules, and those are good. You did fine with those, but you didn't do the really important ones. Like this one we're going to look at here in a minute here. The Pharisees were people, the picture in my mind, their view of the rest of humanity was poor. Their view of those who didn't follow all the rules was that they're not good enough. They, Pharisees said, we're good enough, you're not. To be fair, those other people weren't good enough, right? But neither were the Pharisees. The Pharisees' view was, we're better than. The picture in my mind is, I remember, uh, this is still a problem, I'm sure, for all of us anyway, but I remember being a kid. Do you, remember, do you ever think of the phrase, those people? When I say those people, do you guys get a picture in your mind? If you're like me, you do. I remember being as, as a kid, I grew up in a small town. My mom's actually here, by the way, today visiting. Small town, a town of about 1,000 people at most. And I think they were counting the cemetery. So about 1,000 or so people. Not a lot of people there, not a lot of stuff. But even then, I suppose it's a small town, conservative for the most part. You kind of knew everybody kind of a thing. But those people at that time period of my life were people who had lots of tattoos, Right? Those people, right? Now, if you were military and had a tattoo, that was normal. wasn't a big deal. But if you were not military and had tattoos, you were odd. <laughs> you were strange. And to be fair, a lot of times you were not good enough. Now, again, maybe you're not like me, but I think all of us kind of have an idea of what those people look like. They're different. Now, and, and again, I went to church pretty much since I, was, since I was little. And I was in church with people who were clean cut and wearing, you know, wearing a tie or a coat or whatever it may be. Standard Baptist church. Um, good people a lot of times, but still kind of had an image right about them. You had to wear certain things here. You go to that church and kind of stuff. You would, you would stand up if you didn't. And so those, that, you know, you had, if you came into church and weren't wearing those things, you'd be part of those people, Right. Now, there were people who loved Jesus who would, who would cross you out of those people. That's a good thing. But there was a lot of people, and I probably fit in that category sometimes as well, probably still do. Actually, I'll make the case in a minute here. We all still do. That there were those people. They were different. That's the Pharisees here. Jesus, you're hanging out with those people. Now, let me, let me help a little bit here because maybe... I think there's probably some of you in here who, who know what I'm talking about and had a, had a wrong view at some point of somebody, had a those people mentality. And there's probably some people who go, I was those people. Let me help a little bit here. Because the funny thing is, I remember talking one time to a young lady, um, college student, uh, um, white girl, dreadlocks, right? Which is unusual, right? And she prided herself on her hair. And I remember talking to her. She and I were real close. We got to talk a ton about it, a lot of stuff. I remember talking one time. She prided herself on being a very loving person and reached out a lot to people who were different and unusual and whatever it may be. And that's a good thing. We were talking one time, and I said, Do you realize that you say you love everybody, but you actually don't? She's like, What do you mean? I said, You really have a hard time with people that are normal. You see, for her, those people were the ones who had people that were those people, right? In other words, 
she looked down on the ones who looked down on the other ones, which made her no better. And it wasn't just her problem. That's a me problem. So the point being here is there is, there is something to we'll look at in a minute here that sometimes we are part of those people. But we want to see here, at least in this first part, the Pharisees, that for the most part, all of us have a mentality about somebody else that we tend to think we're better than them. Whatever it might be. Maybe we're here today, so those people didn't come this morning. Maybe we're better than them. Are we? Hard to say, right, in some ways? Easy to say in other ways. We kind of all know, theologically, we're all sinners. Romans 3 is really clear. We all agree on that check. But some of us are less sinners than others, right? No. No. Not really. Every sin, every individual sin would condemn you forever to eternity in hell. It doesn't get any better or worse than that, right? It's just like one. James says you break one, you break them all. Which means we're all in the same category. But we all tend to be the Pharisees sometimes. To go, you know, Jesus really, can he really save those people? Can he really help those people? Can I... Am I better than those people? And there's a sense in where we're looking forward to Jesus coming back and fixing our culture. If we just had Jesus come back and put some better laws in place, we'd be fine. You see, I think the reality is, for some of us, we want Jesus to come back and give us better neighbors. We just want, we just get tired of dealing with annoying people, right? Jesus, can you just come back and make everybody drive in a, in a normal way, right? You see, what's happening is we're, we're Pharisees. We're, wanting, we're, we're waiting for Jesus to return because we want Jesus to come back because he's a really good guy. He does things really well. He's better. He, he likes to do moral things. So he'll come, here we go, and he'll fix their sin, Right? He'll come and he'll fix their sin. Because I'm fine. I'm good, right? right? If you think I'm sinful, it's because you're legalistic, right? Jesus will come back and he'll fix those people and we'll all be good. That's where we, we tend to be. And we tend to look down on these people and we expect Jesus to kind of fix the culture, fix something. We want him to come and do something to fix it where we'll be happier, we'll be better off. That's the Pharisees here. They were, they, were un, they were looking at Jesus incorrectly, that he was going to fix things. And he was going to really put a stamp of approval on their lifestyle and let them know that they really are better than, that their good works were fine. But they were doing their good works for the wrong reasons. The sinners, though, See, it's easy then to go, yeah, don't be a Pharisee. You know, those guys are always doing certain things a certain way. And you know what? Jesus, what Jesus was all about was that you be you. I'm going to channel Matthew for a minute. You be you, boo, right? All right? There's a little Matthew for you, right? Okay? I'll never do that anymore. All right. Anyway, but this idea here, you know, that's in our culture as well, because I can imagine the sinners... People sitting there as well going, yeah, tell them, Jesus. We're just going to live how we want to live. 
And see, the passage lends itself to feeling like that Jesus is committing their lifestyle because he's reclining with them. They're having a good time. But let me give you a little bit of a hint in the text here because you all know how I like the text. Verse 12, he says, who needs a physician? Those who are sick. So you see, he wasn't saying, hey, guys, live your life how you want to live your life. Do whatever you want to do. You don't have to do good deeds. You don't have to be righteous. We're good. So those who are doing the right thing for the wrong reason, he's going to condemn. Those who are doing the wrong thing, he's going to also condemn. He's not going to just say, oh, you have to live how you want to live. So in the category of sinners, which again, we all connect to as well, there's areas of our lives where we're kind of like, hey, Jesus, um, if you could not look over in this direction right now, it would be good because I feel like, you know, doing whatever I should be doing, right? There's areas of our lives where we struggle with sin. We struggle with doing the wrong thing. You notice both are being condemned? Again, doing the wrong thing, Jesus says you're sick. You need a doctor. You need help. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason, he condemns that as well. So, so what? What hope do we have? Well, look in verse 13. Jesus says, I desire mercy. Now, what's going on in that verse? He's referring to probably Hosea chapter 6. What was happening there was a lot of uh, righteous people who were not loving people well. They weren't serving. They were, they were taking advantage of people. And the Pharisees, they're gonna, this is going to connect with them instantly. They know what happened in the Hosea 6 passages. They know what happened to Israel when Israel ceased to show mercy to poor, broken sinners, to, to, to widows and orphans. When they stopped showing mercy, they lost their nation and their temple. They're, they were destroyed. They were conquered. So they know there as well. And he's going to hit that as well. But I want to hit, first of all, for us, for the, for the Pharisee and the sinner, either one category you fall into, and probably for most of us, both in some capacity, there's hope, right? For the, for, the, for the sinner, it's easy to see. Jesus says, I've come for you. You think you're so far from God? Congratulations, here I am. And I'm willing to sit down next to you and have a good time. You think you're so far away, the Pharisees have told you you didn't meet the list and you can never make it up again. I'm here to tell you there's not a list. I'm here to tell you there's mercy. I'm here to tell you the reality is there actually is a list that's too big for anybody to meet. But I'm going to shed my blood to cover that list. I'm going to never mess up so that my righteousness covers that list. I will show you mercy. I am a physician. I am the doctor. I'm here to provide the cure. Sinners, stop living this lifestyle. But you don't have to get better to come know me. There's no entryway into the kingdom except through Christ. You don't have to become, stop doing something. You just got to follow me. Got to love me and know me and, and repent and confess and that really is all one big one big pile of the same thing Jesus says to those the, the, I'm sure they can hear it by the way the Pharisees did you notice they asked the disciples they didn't ask Jesus they know something's wrong 
but they're not willing to admit it. But Jesus hears it and says, and I think he says it for all of them to hear. So, that, so again, be a, be, be a person in that room who's been condemned your whole entire life. And Jesus says, I came for the sinners. I'm a doctor to cure their problem. So they have hope. Now, it looks like the Pharisee has no hope in this passage. Let me give you a little bit of a hint here. Look in verse uh, 13 again. Jesus says to them, go and learn. You see, he doesn't just simply condemn them. He gives them an out. He says, figure out who I am. If you can figure out who I am and figure out who you are, problem solved. You think you're not sick. Go and learn. You have not shown mercy like the people in Hosea. They were condemned. And the Pharisee, if he could say, and could see the passage here and understand what Jesus just said, could see that he's needing mercy and realize that the one who offers it is standing right there. So the hope for the Pharisee is to understand that you're a sinner, that you have a, you have a sin problem, that you're, there, there are no those people that you're better than. They don't exist. Understand, you're, you are those people. You are the worst of the worst. And I don't mean that, again, Matthew always says, Mr. Encouraging Idea, right? The worst of the worst in the sense that you, like me, have rejected God's plan for your life. You, like me, have rebelled against His control. You, have like me, have spurned His love. You, have like me, have convinced yourself you can do enough good things to make God like you. And it won't work. And if you realize, it will, you'll never get there. And you go, my only hope is mercy. I need mercy. And Jesus says, I got it. I got you. I can't call the righteous but sinners. For the Pharisee who thought he was righteous, once he could figure out he wasn't, he'd be fine. He would realize where to go. So for some of us in this room, we're still convinced we can do enough. We're still convinced we can somehow be better than. Stop. If you haven't noticed yet, have you ever noticed how hard it is to impress people? And it, let's say you pull it off. You actually do something and impress somebody. How long does it last? It's a diminishing return. Like you might get them to think highly of you one day. The next day you've got to do something even better to keep that same level. Man, I feel bad for you if you're on that treadmill. I mean, I'm on there sometimes too. This has been a year where I realized that I'm not worth <laughs> anything in a sense. It, it seems as though in the world's eyes, I've been rejected many times. But the beauty is, God right there every time says, hey son, who cares what they think? I got you. I sent my son. You have infinite worth. The world can reject you. I accept you. Game's over. <laughs> it's just, 
We don't believe it. I don't believe it. I forget it all the time. But if we believed that was true, there would be no desire to impress anybody else. There'd be no reason to. But if you're like me, that's still a temptation. But God has said, if you will repent and confess, you will be my child forever. No need to impress anybody. That's the beauty of this passage, to see. We look at the Pharisees and the sinners. We've said this a few times, but let's make sure we see Jesus. Jesus is the great physician. Jesus is the one who has the cure for your biggest disease, your biggest problem. I can't guarantee you he'll heal you of your physical diseases. Actually, I can. When you get to be in heaven, they're all gone. He might do it now. He might do it later. But this I know. Your biggest problem is your separation from God for those who don't know Christ. But Jesus says, I have the cure. And he really says, I am the cure. Put your faith and trust in me. Put your hope. Look forward to Look for my return. And then for those who know Christ, what this means is, again, we don't have to live lives to try to impress the world. We don't have to live lives to try to impress God. We can look forward to Christ's return with joy because the battle is won, the game is over, the, the race has been run. All those things are true. We're, we're, we're good. We're set. For those who don't know Christ, without Him there is no hope. You will get to the end of your life and realize you wasted your time. So repent and believe. See this. See the beauty that Christ will come to those who know they need it.